let's just keep looking for opportunities. I tried everything. I was like, there's got to be something that's just going to get us the revenue. And then I can go in and say, hey, we're doing 500000 a month. You know, say no now or something like that, right? Yeah. That was kind of my focus. So I kind of told myself, I'm going to put the, um, you know, thinking hat on the fundraising to the side. I told Oscar, like, let's just go out there and be smart about money. I sold my car, like I said. And what I did at that time is I did all the delivery, a lot of deliveries for the company. And the way I made money was a lot of our clients are wealthier and they would have stuff that they would give away charity or they're like, just trash. And I'm like, this is like $2,000 item. It's like, she's going through a divorce. She didn't care. Yeah. So she, I was like, do you mind if I keep it? She's like, sure. So I had a storage AK in my garage. I put <laughs> I it in there you and I would that. sell it on the marketplace. And then the customers would be like, well, do you know anybody that delivers? I was like, yeah, there's an app. And <laughs> so they would buy it from me. I would deliver it. So I made money on the item plus the delivery. And I actually did pretty well there. I actually paid a decent amount of money to support like my home and you know my wife and all that kind of stuff. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. Hey, guys, it's Chris. Thanks for joining me on the Fort today. I have a really cool guy with me today, Goran Krindia. He just taught me how to pronounce it correctly. It's K-R-India. Goran and I met probably two or three years ago, and Goran's story captivated me immediately. Uh, Goran is the definition of the American dream. I'll let him share more about that. He's building a really cool app that has taken off. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet with him early on in his journey with this company and have from the sidelines, gotten to watch it grow, gotten to watch him raise money, uh, had conversations with him about what he's up to. And some of the things that he's working on now are unbelievably impressive and kind of start touching the real estate industry, uh, which is exciting to me. So without further ado, Goran, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really appreciative to be here. Yep. Can you just give us... I usually tell people the two-minute cliff note version of your story, mm-hmm. but you don't have to limit it to two minutes. Tell us about your story. Sure. So I'm originally from Bosnia, which is in Eastern Europe. Um, at the age of five, um, two soldiers came to our house at that time, picked up my dad in the middle of the night, said there's some talk of the war. There was some shooting going on, but we didn't think much of it. He literally told my mom and who had three kids, me and my twin brother and my sister, the next day, get on the next bus to Germany. The next bus was around eight o'clock at night, and that was the most terrifying bus ride. I remember soldiers coming in every checkpoint with, you know, AK-47s and checking for passports and whatever. And being five years old, you did not know what to expect. Like, this could be a last ride, right? We got to the border of Austria around three in the morning, and they came in to check passports, and we did not have a German passport to enter outside the country. So they kicked us off that bus. Um, my mom, me, my twin brother of five, and my 10-year-old sister. Um, that evening, luckily for us, there was a church nearby, which we found shelter outside. Tomorrow morning, we got picked up by three nuns who let us inside the church. Uh, we stayed there maybe max two days. My mom had a brother in Germany. He was able to come pick us up and bring us inside Germany illegally, unfortunately. We landed in North Germany, a small city called Cuxhaven, near Bremen or Hamburg, which is a bigger city. And we stayed in a fish warehouse where they had a lot of the immigrants and stuff. And we shared a room about this size with another family. My mom slept in a chair like this and me and my brothers slept in something like that. So it was just very tiny, but we were fortunate. We were happy with what we had at that time. So then what? 
Yeah, as you can imagine, technology wasn't as ripe as it is today. We didn't have the social media channels. Unfortunately, the war did get pretty bad. I don't know if you guys know anything about history or not, but 92 to 98, we suffered a lot. We lost a lot of people. And we did not hear from my dad for about a year. We lost some family members, some got hurt. My mom kept going to a payphone every night. And this is going to sound awkward, but when I was like six, I felt like I was 30. And the reason I say is because I grew up fast. Like you see these things in front of you, growing up without a dad, you don't know what's happening. You just literally escaped the war. So I think it was like December. I remember it was snowing and my mom just lost it. And she just started crying. And I think that's when I figured out like, okay, like maybe we found some bad news or we're never going to see our dad again. But there's a good part to the story. My dad did make it barely. He made it to Germany. We stayed there. Unfortunately, the house that we had back home, we lost it. So Germany said when the war stops, we have to move back. But we didn't have nowhere to go. So that's when U.S., Canada, and Australia stepped in and said, we'd love for you guys to come to our country. It's not that simple of a process, but luckily for us, we got picked up and came to the United States in 98. Are you willing to share where your dad was that year? Yeah, he was in the Bosnia in the war. He was fighting? Yeah. And... Was that a draft or it, they just came in to people's houses, grabbed the, the oldest male and said, you're coming with Pretty us? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it, and when, when you say oldest, probably like 16 years old. What was that year like for you? Like, did you wake up every day wondering where he was? Did you know where he was at that point? Did you know he was yeah. alive? I didn't know he was back home. My mom definitely, you know, gave us a good story. But I think after six months or so, she just couldn't do it anymore because she figured we had a lot of friends with parents and both, you know, mom and dad and we didn't. And that's when she told us, you know, dad is protecting your country, you know, so we can go back and have a better opportunity again. Um, I didn't know what to think, honestly. I didn't know anything about death, you know, like at that yeah. age. So I thought, you know, he's Superman. Nothing could happen to him, which that's thank awesome. God nothing happened. Oh, dude, I got chills. Yeah. Okay. So Canada and, and America and you said Australia? Yep. They Re- reach out and mm-hmm. they offer a, a, a ability to immigrate to one of those countries. Yeah. And we had to go to Frankfurt. Um, pretty much they checked. Our parents' background check, they don't want some criminals. How long did that take? So you got the you I got the notification. Say, yeah. How uh, long until from you... interview process to move in, probably about a year. And you stayed where you had been in that house until that um, year was we done. We moved out of the warehouse in Germany probably year four, year four or five. What was that year like just as a kid? Like what did you do every day? I mean, you have a nice building where we just came from. Think about that, but 10 times bigger. It was a fish warehouse. They made fish there. It was open 24 hours, so none of the employees wanted to stay there. So that's how we got to stay in the warehouse. For was me, it just y'all or were there no, other there was families? Like other families, but mainly employees. Yeah. Uh, we shared a room like this, like I said, with a family from Portugal. Um, it was very loud. It was not your normal house. I mean, it lived in a warehouse. Yeah. I don't have to explain it. I loved it. Just the simple fact that you could run around and being a kid, you know, you could go from one end and probably five miles down, you'd be at a different place. So that was kind of cool to be able to run around and check out these big, you know, trucks pulling in and out and forklifts every, everywhere. That was kind of cool. Ah, oh, dude. Golly. Okay, so you, so you get to America when you're eight? Uh, no, I got here at 13 because I lived in Germany. Oh, that's yeah. right. Okay, Five so you lived 13. I lived in Germany and then I came here. Okay, so you guys get approved. Uh, were you looking at Canada or Australia or was America? We wanted the- to get out of this. We couldn't go back home. I mean, we didn't have anything, you know? Um, so we were for- happy to go anywhere, whoever was given opportunity to come. How was your um, family making money uh, while y'all were in? How are y'all surviving while y'all are in the warehouse? My mom, she worked two jobs and that's kind of how Gozova came about. During those rough times, my sister and my brother and I would watch like Beverly Hills 90210, <laughs> Knight Rider, Full House. 
And they all had like a dad, a dog, you know, a beautiful home, which we didn't have any of that, which we inspired to have. So my sister said, if one day we could come to America and start a business and be successful, we should call it Gzova, which is the first two letters of my name, my twin brother, and my sister. And she said, no matter how hard it gets, remember where we're at now, and it can always be worse. And that honestly has helped me a lot through this business. Okay, so you get to America. Uh, I'm assuming you flew over. Did you? Yeah, on a sh- Okay. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you get here? We landed in Las Vegas Trail. Okay. So I don't know if you're familiar with that area. It's like number one homicide in Fort Worth. Yep. Um, why got, Fort Worth? Why Fort Worth? Why, why we did you pick? We just landed and Catholic Charity picked us up okay. at the airport. And they said for the first three or six months, we'll help you with like rent. And then we would have to pay that back, I believe. But my and food stamps and my parents said, no, we didn't come here for this. We came here to earn an honest living. Uh, we're going to take this opportunity. Thank you so much. And, you know, we're going to work. And my, I remember my mom got a job at Motel 6. There was one on the street. We didn't have a car. I know where that is. Yeah. And my dad, um, he worked at Trinity. I think it's like a railroad company. He was a good electrician. Um, and that's how they started out. And, you know, then my mom got a second job at, I think, like in an Arby's. And they saved up enough money and we bought a house out in Southwest Fourth. Did you know English when you got here? I knew British English. Were you watching Full House in like... English, uh, yeah. Okay, it was in English. Okay. Yeah, but it had like translations in our language at the bottom. Nothing makes you want to come to America more than Bob Saget and Olsen <laughs> Twins. Exactly. Or Pamela Anderson. Um, I haven't had to ask this question to anybody before, but you know, the world's a little crazy right now. What does America mean to you? It means a lot. Uh, I think I was talking to a friend of mine last night after our soccer game. And, you know, in Germany, if I moved back ever, I would still be an immigrant. That's just their mentality. Here... There's no discrimination. Like everybody will give you an opportunity. You just have to create it yourself. Like nobody's going to limit you to what you can accomplish. Yep. It's really the sky. So you kind of grow up, you start kind of uh, learning the American culture. Your family starts uh, by all means flourishing. You all have bought a house. Like where were you kind of by the time you were 18? Did you go to college? I um, did. I necessarily didn't want to go to college. I played soccer and had a chance to go play in Argentina. I had some offers here locally with SMU and I believe some other universities sent me some offers to look into. When I did go play in Argentina, I came back to look at those offers. However, they said since I played over there, which was like a pro team, I couldn't it was against NCAA rules. And school was just, I worked at Rivercrest Country Club at that time. And I met a lot of young guys, like our age, I would say, and they were super successful. And I was just maybe like 18, 19. I was of LA and I was just like, there's nothing that makes them better or different than myself. I was like, I can do this. Like, you know, I was questioning myself every day. What is, I would go home and ask, what are they doing different than I, I'm not, or I could be doing. And I always had this entrepreneurial bug. And my parents kept forced me to go to college because especially we've been yeah. through it, education means a lot to us. Yep. So I hate to say it, but I literally went to college for my parents. Yeah, dude. So where'd you end up going? UTA. UTA? Yeah, my sister got her master's from TCU. Me and my twin brother went to UTA. Okay, so you go to college. When did you get the idea to start Gazova? And what is Gazova? Sure. Um, I started in college, actually. Um, I had a lot of international friends since I played soccer. And two girls, one was from Poland, one was from Czech. They shared a dorm. And it was during move in, move out. I saw them struggle. They were trying to move at like 7 o'clock at night, carrying this couch together from like a second or third floor. So I was like, what are y'all doing? Like, I felt bad. I was like, I need help. And for once in my life, I felt like I could actually do something about it. And that kind of, I went through the whole problem. I asked, like, why don't y'all call a moving company or some friends? And we're like, we don't know anybody here. We called U-Haul where we're not of age. And they're they're like, we didn't feel comfortable, you know, driving to U-Haul. And then the moving companies wanted like three-hour minimums. And we'll show up in a box truck. They're like, we have four things we're trying to move. And they actually had a friend of theirs who had a truck that they met on the parking lot charging like 50 bucks to go from like one dorm to another. Mm-hmm. So I found somebody who had a problem, somebody who could need extra money. I was like, you know what? I want to solve this. 
And that's how it started. At the time, were there other apps like this being created or were you one of the first kind of so out there? There was some that were created, but we were pretty much, I don't want to say the first one, definitely we're not the first ones, but I would say like top five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you get the idea. Did you start the business kind of without an app? Was it just you getting phone calls, uh, driving and hauling stuff or what was like the first? If I could go back, that's what I would have done. I yeah. wouldn't have waited for an app. Um, no, we wanted to kind of have that sex appeal. Yeah. At that time, like nobody was doing it. We're like, hey, we're going to create an app, right? Um, like I said, had I, could I go back now? That was one thing I would have done is just like create a little website. Tell me what you need. I'll pick it up. But yeah, while we were building the app, I was slowly creating flyers, going around TCU parties, going to um, neighborhood events. Just I, I was doing it for like super cheap. I would take your stuff from here to Dallas, like 30 bucks. But I was like, I want to earn your business. I want to show you I'm loyal. I want to show you I can do a better job than you mover. I will do whatever it takes. And I remember you actually told me, like, you need to charge more. (laughs) But I was like, I just want to show people that I'm a real guy. I'm, you know, an honest living. Because I know the moving industry tends to have kind of a, you know, flaky type of image and stuff. And I was like, I want to tell you that I will take care of your stuff just like it's mine every time. And I believe now we have the price set as well. So you decided early on to start with an app. How long did that take? And what were all the mistakes and successes with it and sure. things you do differently? Yeah, so I'm not a coder by any means. So what I did, I created a NDA and I went to UTA and SMU and TCU and I pitched it. And I said, look, I'm looking, somebody can help me build this. And it was a UTA, a gentleman came up to me and said, I'm a coder, I won 25 grand at this competition. I think I can help you, I like the idea. We met a, we met a brood on Magnolia. I gave him some stock options and whatnot. I felt like a businessman at that point. <laughs> And then we agreed to start the company and, you know, guy was phenomenal. Just the only thing is I'm very entrepreneurial. Like if you give me a dollar, I will stretch a dollar out as far as I can. And I will look for the next $10 around me. Yep. He was more like, Hey, I have a dollar. We need to have $2 smart before I continue to have a guy, which, you know, and I'm just like a much, much bigger risk taker. So he kind of said, look, I can't get this developed as fast as you want me to. So let's outsource it to India. And that was the biggest mistake I personally have made. Um, I invested about 10 grand into India and I just didn't get anything out of it. So then what? Yeah. So he pretty much told me, I just don't think I'm the right guy for this. You're going a little too fast for me. But he's like, I want to introduce you to Cameron. He's like 21 years old. And this guy's like a coding freak. I mean, he like would lock himself in a room and just code all day. He would create apps just for fun. And we met and he's like, look, I'm in college. If this thing takes off, great. If not, I can add it to my resume. Let's do it. And it's been the best decision I've made. Are you still with Cameron? He's, yeah, he's with us. He's your CTO? Yep. And that was, what year was that? 2017. Okay. So 2017, the app is built. Had mm-hmm. you been doing any business kind of before that was launched? Or we you... have, but it was embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. Why? <laughs> well, the app kept crashing. We didn't know. I'm not a mover. Yeah. I didn't know what's really, I try, I thought I hired a moving guy and I lost money, you know, just paying him. I was like, I want you to teach me everything about moving. I did not care about it. Had you raised any capital to get you there? It was all personally sold mine. I sold my brand new car that I paid off and I told myself, I'm going to put this towards my house for the next year. And yeah, that's it. Okay. So we are in 2017. We have an app that we're proud of. We have a Cameron, our CTO, who we're proud mm-hmm. of. And uh, we, we start kind of opening the doors. What were like the, what was that first year like once the app was built and something that was working that was yeah. functional that you could be proud of? Sure. I think the first pickup that actually came through app that fully succeeded, even though it's crap when I look at it now, I mean, compared to where we're at now, of course, I was really proud of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was like a really high moment that actually somebody would pay money to use your services and actually rate it and say that a good experience to me. That was like, okay, I thank you. I mean, I felt like I had a business at that point. I was like, okay, if these five, 10 customers are using it constantly, 
I know there's something there. I know it needed improving, but I was like, I can work with that. Were your early customers uh, like individuals or businesses? We didn't target businesses. That was kind of hard. It just required knowing the right person and they tend to make decisions by having 50 meetings. <laughs> so we literally went after like interior designers. We went after mom's group and Tangle with Moms like took off like fire. Um, one day we, I thought the biggest audience would be college kids because that's what I saw. But then we had some TCU girls use us and then all of a sudden I get a phone call. And it's like, hey, this is Mary. My daughter used you last week. And I just want to ask, is this only for TCU students? So I said, no, you can use it. And we had like a download a day. Next thing you know, we had like 140 downloads. I was like, Holy shit. like you know, where yeah. did this come from? And she wrote a big article on Tangible Moms about us, you know, how she loved the service, what we were doing, local business. And the moms just like, oh my God, I'm an interior designer. Or, you know, and those moms, a lot of them are stay at home. So they shop a lot and buy stuff on these different pages. And that just took us to another level. And at that point, you were still just bootstrapping everything. Yes, correct. All your own capital. Yes. Uh, were you driving the trucks? I did about 1,200 deliveries. I was either the driver or a helper. In the beginning, I would not let any driver touch any furniture until I met him. Yep. I, I did Starbucks meetings, and I was like, I'm not going to let you go in a $2 million house. I'm like, Because I got to the point where I knew my customers personally. Yep. And they would ask, hey, can you come? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. Like, I, they didn't even have to ask. I was like, even if there's two guys, I'll be the third guy watching. So the the Tanglewood Moms posts, you kind of get your first like rush of growth. Mm -hmm. Were you all prepared for that growth? Um, yes. And here's the reason why I say that. Supply for us was never a problem to find. You know, the drivers, there's always guys looking to make extra money. There's guys who have pickup trucks and stuff. Demand was always an issue. So when you have, you know, two or three pickups a day, it's like not really hard to fill them. And at that time, like I said, I was driving and I had a close friend of mine who's with the company today, Oscar. He worked with my wife and he was like, look, I like where this is going. I want to be a part of it. He quit his full-time job in the construction field. He, he had his own business and he's like, I will run the driver's side. He's like, I will hire the guys. I will go out there. And customers kept raving about him. Like, you know, he's punctual, great customer service and stuff. I was like, I want you to run that side. So he helped me out a lot. How, how'd you meet him again? He worked with my wife at at t and then okay. he quit, started his own construction company. Yep. And he's like, hey, can you haul supplies for me? You know, and we did that. And he's like, you know what? Screw my job. There's too much propaganda. Yep. I like what you're building. I want to be part of a tech company. And that's how you came about. One of the things I, I like least is moving things. Mm -hmm. They're heavy. You have to go upstairs. You're like constantly trying to like get around the door without like hitting mm -hmm. the, yeah. the. What's something that you've learned about moving that you didn't know before you started? Um, I didn't know it sucked that bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, you know, and I remember one time I almost fainted. I was like on my fourth <laughs> or fifth move and it was a TC move. And, you know, it was these four girls and we moved them all. And they had this like four bedroom house, you know, I mean, like they're really beautiful by TCU. And they had the most heaviest furniture, like sleepers, <laughs> sofas, and I was going up these like railings and stuff. And I was like, the lady, I felt bad. She kept asking, do you guys want some water? Then I just kept saying yes. Like I just kept pouring on myself. But it is a lot hard now. I know why they charge the prices they do because it's not an easy job. Yep. So in the early days, how were you hiring drivers versus how you hire them today? Yeah. Back in the day, um, we did a lot of Facebook, Nextdoor, and stuff like that. And I hate to say it, but we didn't get the best qualified guys. Today, we actually use a software called Fountain. It's um, literally we tell them what we're looking for, what kind of fleet, what kind of experience, and it's sources like 80 job boards. 
and literally brings that candidate to the, to the table for us. And and they basically fill out some yeah. something on Fountain that vets mm-hmm. them. And- yeah, we make the questions that what we're looking for, what experience, what kind of vehicle they have to have and all that stuff. And then once they fill that out, if they get approved through a background check enough, we can we put them in a group. So if they can like move pool tables or hot tubs and stuff, we call them specialized skill. Yep. So tomorrow if you're like, hey, I'm buying a pool table, it will only ping those guys because they have that skill. Is it similar to Uber where the drivers or the movers are rated? And then how on your end, if you have somebody that's consistently getting like a two star, like how do you kind of level up your people as things? Yeah, continue? I fire them on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I mean, honestly, look, I think everybody can make mistakes. And I, but at this point, I know a lot of the guys, but really, if you're getting anything below a four, that uh, you must have done something pretty wrong. So. What does your fleet look like today? Uh, we have about 150 guys that are in the system, pretty much working throughout the state of Texas. Uh, we have anything as small as a car, and we actually go up all the way to a box, box truck. We just started doing household moves. Um, we also do a lot of commercial stuff on the side. We do partner. We have a partnership with Bobcat. Uh, we're talking to Holdcat right now. We have a bunch of pool companies. Uh, we're with WRG, which was down the street, I believe, from here. Um, so yes, we also do those. I'm giving you a big hug when this is all over. <laughs> I've worked hard for this, and you know this. When I know I, you have. When I came to see you, I hated you that day because I was like, man, like, what do I have to do to impress these guys? Like, you know, because I, I kept seeing people like seeing people reach like million, two raise, and I'm like, I'm over here like doing everything I can. Yeah. But it's that advice that I took that honestly meant a lot to me. Like, I needed that. Yeah, dude. I'm get I get chills just hearing the even over the last three years. I remember our first meeting. I'll never forget yeah. it. And I know we'll be friends for a long time. For sure. So you bootstrapped and you just kind of hit on raising money. Mm-hmm. You're a, are you a tech business or a service business? Or how do you think of yourself? Yeah, it's kind of a little bit of both, but we definitely like the tech side. Yeah. I think everything we're working on now is just definitely in the tech. We do have some employees now, but we're working to a point where everything's made tech. Like literally now you can reach out to us, but that's kind of fading away. We just want you to be able, I need this table picked up and you can do anything you want on the app. Yep, yep. And before I get into financing, I did want to ask one more question. Are the 150 people and the fleet that's driving, are those folks doing it full-time or are some of them, it's like a part-time side hustle? Sure. Uh, most Majority of them are part-time. We okay. do have a, quite a bit that are full-time. Um, our sweet spot, our guys, so to say, are the car to about a smaller box truck, like a 12-footer. Um, anytime we get like a household and stuff, we partner with like smaller moving companies yep. and we'll utilize their fleet. Like there are guys like when they're like down or don't have work and stuff, they'll literally log into our marketplace and pick these jobs up. So if a listener is looking to make some extra income and they have a truck mm-hmm. is part of the application process, you know, obviously who you are, what you can do, but I also have a truck and then they use their own truck. Correct. Okay. So you don't provide any no, of the vehicles. We do not. Yep. That's smart. We have zero assets. Yeah. yeah. That's smart. So when we first met three years ago, it was a little bit around fundraising. I've invested in some early stage companies. Uh, We chatted at the time, even tech businesses in kind of DFW, it was a harder kind of raising. And really in Fort Worth specifically, you you more wanted to be on the east side. Uh, Take me through, you, you raised a seed round not too long ago from a very accomplished firm here in Fort Worth. But what did uh, your first fundraising experience, what was it like? It's not easy, is it? No, I thought the warehouse story was hard, but this was really hard. Um, honestly, I compared it to one of the hardest things I've done. I did not know that that many factors going to raising money. I was reading Forbes and all these little magazines way too much. It's like companies raising money left and right. 
but there's a lot that goes into it, honestly. Um, I met thousands of people. I've had people write me a check on the spot just to tell me no. Um, I, I went through it all. And it was kind of funny. It's like when you chase a girl and, you know, she doesn't want you, but then you stop chasing her and she's like, where's this guy at? That's kind of what happened. I just said, you know what? I think you told me, just go out there. Money doesn't solve everything. And I just kind of kept telling myself, let's just keep looking for opportunities. I tried everything. I was like, there's got to be something that's just going to get us the revenue. And then I can go in and say, hey, we're doing 500000 a month, you know, say no now or something like that, right? Yep. That was kind of my focus. So I kind of told myself, I'm going to put the... Um, you know, thinking had on the fundraising to the side. I told Oscar, like, let's just go out there and be smart about money. I sold my car, like I said. And what I did at that time is I did all the delivery, a lot of deliveries for the company. And the way I made money was a lot of our clients are wealthier and they would have stuff that they would give away charity or they're like, just trash it. I'm like, this is like $2,000 items. Like she's going through a divorce. She didn't care. Yeah. So she, I was like, do you mind if I keep it? She's like, sure. So I had a storage, AKA in my garage. I put <laughs> I it in there you and I would that. sell it on the marketplace. And then the customers would be like, well, do you know anybody that delivers? I was like, yeah, there's an app. And <laughs> so they would buy from me. I would deliver it. So I made money on the item plus the delivery. And I actually did pretty well there. I actually paid a decent amount of money to support like my home and you know my wife and all that kind of stuff. But I'm back to fundraising. Yes, it was the hardest thing I've done. And like I said, I put that to the side. And I remember one time I talked to a friend of mine and he's like, there's a guy, his name is Tyler. He works for the you know, Fineline Group, the Bass family. You should really talk to him. And I was like, look, I'm done with investors. I, I'm going to grow this business. And if it's going to work, it's going to work. If not, screw it. And he's like, no, uh, he's really changing the way things are in forward because that's forward for tech. It's really tough. Yeah. I mean, everything is, I feel like, oil and gas, real estate. And then when you go to somebody and tell them anything about technology, they're like, why would I use an app and I can just call Mike, my mover for 20 years? I'm like, dang it. Like, yeah. you know, like, that's not my customer. Yep. So I put him to the side and, you know, he's like, just give him a shot. So I emailed him or called him and he's like, you know, send me over your deck. And I think I did. And he's like, all right, I'll call you Tuesday at two o'clock. And I was like, okay, sure. And I remember I just got a haircut and I walk out of a salon and Tyler calls me. And it's not even like, it's the first time talking. It's not like, hey, Goran, tell me about you. It's like, tell me your TAM, tell me your SAM, tell me your monthly revenue, tell me this, tell me your customer acquisition. And I was like, Hi, my name is Goran Taylor. Yeah. How are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, you're like, I don't know you like that. Like, I'm not going to tell you, you know, anything about that. So, but he's just that type of guy, you know, great guy. And we met and it just kept going. He's like, I want you to meet our chief operating officer. Then he's like, if you pass this test, I want to introduce you to this guy and that guy. And it was probably around the like fifth or seventh meeting. Like deep, deep far. He came and said, look, if this is going to work, I need you to work with somebody. And I was like, who? He's like, this guy named Gabe. He came trying to raise funds for his startup. Unfortunately, him and his CEO didn't see eye to eye on some things. So he left. So he's like, he's had five successful exits. He, you know, might be looking to join if you're open. Of course, if you guys can make it work, we can possibly put some money in. So me and Gabe met at the time and he's like, look, I love what you're building. I would love to be a part of it. And that's when we went back to Bassus and they said, we'd love to, you know, join the round. And how much did you raise? We raised 500,000. What did that feel oh, like shit. walking out? Man, I don't even know. Dude, why. I can see it in your eyes. Yeah. I, the first thing I wanted to do was take my parents out to dinner, like text to Brazil. They've never been in their life. And it's not that I couldn't afford it at that time, but when you're, that money is that tight and stuff like that, you know, just I looked at every dollar that I made for my company too. And every time I made a little bit of money, one of my drivers would damage something. I don't know. It's like God was saying, hey, here's five grand this month. Oh, sorry. Nope. You owe, you know? Yep. Um, so I actually took him out somewhere really nice just to, hey, look, I made something because they never saw it going anywhere. They always just like, yeah, you need to get a job. Why did you leave your you know career behind? You should do this and that. They just never believed in it. Dude, you are like the ultimate entrepreneur. So you raise 500,000, you go and get meted out at Texas Day Brazil yeah. with the guys with swords and the yeah. amazing uh, salad bar. I used to eat there uh, when my parents would come in town. Uh, 
it was like my favorite place. I haven't been in a while, but now you're 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 getting me uh, excited about going again. Uh, what did you do with the five hundred thousand? And why 500,000? Yeah, that's actually a great question. It was hard. We were actually trying to raise 2 million. That was actually my first. And I was like, look, um, they always say raise whatever you need, raise double. So we, I said, I wanted a longer runway. Me personally, I wanted about 18 to 24 months with the funding because I knew it was going to take a little longer to like, especially stick. That didn't seem to stick very well with them. They were just like, we're a little smaller firm with, you know, with the funds that we invest, our sweet spots like 250 to 500K. So at that point, I was like, look, even 500,000 would be great just to raise anything, you know, to gain one, gain some awareness around here. But two, for me, $500,000 is a lot of money. Yeah. I think we can do a lot of damage. And Gabe, uh, one thing that I always struggled with was kind of on the operation side. That's not something I'm good at. And he was really, he's really good at that. And we came up with a plan, you know, as far as like what we plan on scaling, what we really want to do. So we cleaned up a lot of stuff on the app. We brought back Cameron and Colton, our two engineers. Cameron was in um, San Francisco. Uh, working for Open Door, Colton worked here for another company. So we turned like a part-time company, so to say, into completely full-time. Got an office downtown, Sundance Square, um, and we work. So, you know, it's just like, it just felt like things were coming together, if that makes sense. And then finally we started marketing, hired a marketing agency at Warren Douglas down on 7th Street. And that's kind of what we did with the money early on. What has it done for your business? When, when did you raise it? 2019? Um, yeah, uh, 20, what is the, what were we now? 2020. Yeah, it's been a long year. Yeah, it has. <laughs> it doesn't seem like, yeah, like February. Okay. Yeah. So you're just getting started with it. Pretty much, but the money burns fast. I yeah. did, I had a lot of people tell me who I've talked to who've raised money and they're like, you'll see it today and tomorrow it's gone. And I was like, no, not really, but it really goes pretty fast. But um, we've definitely increased our revenue has gone up, we you know, a lot. We've had some great partnerships. The commercial side is doing phenomenal. We're constantly doing new ideas, seeing, you know, you know, what what we constantly ask customers like, what do you want to see? What would be better? What would be beneficial just to learn from their experience? But we're on the quest to raise this two million dollars and we just started that process here about maybe a week ago. And you're gonna do it. Oh yeah, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I, I I'm gonna yes, I'm gonna do it. I know you're gonna do I it. I know so too. And if anybody is listening and wants well, we'll get to your contact information after this. So you raise the 500,000, you spend some on marketing, you hire back the boys, you're mm -hmm. a full-time company, you got the WeWork, but then you just said, well, now we're going to raise 2 million. Why so quick? And is that is that more of an extension of that's kind of what you wanted to begin with? Right. It was kind of the extension we wanted to begin with, but also why so quick? We're seeing that we can enter a market within two to four weeks, like a new market, and we can become profitable in a week. It does not take much marketing on our end to become profitable, especially since we don't own the fleets and stuff. And with everything going on, the oil boom and everything like that, we've seen more increase in the supply. People with trucks out there just like wanting to work. So we have all that ready. And now with our partnerships, a lot of them are like Coldcat, Bobcat. They're like, hey, we have stuff out. Like we entered Vaco and people are like, why are you doing Vaco? There is nobody there. Where we're like, yes, but that's the biggest distribution center for all these companies, which people don't think of. And we do a lot of deliveries, small deliveries there. Um, so we wanted to expand outside of Texas. And we just recently, I think I told you, we partnered with Smart City Apartment Locators and yep. they do 30,000 leases a year. And they just entered Atlanta and Denver. And we've been looking to Denver and Phoenix as our next market. So it's stuff like that. And every market, we want to put one person in just kind of run the market. It doesn't really take much. Everything is like I said, you know, through the app and stuff, just to maintain, hand out the shirts to the guys and have a little bit of a training that they go through online, maintain the market. But that's why we want to raise the money. When we were talking earlier, uh, it started as more of a consumer app, but as as we've chatted more over the years, and even in our last two minutes of talking, you've formed a lot of commercial partnerships. What do those look like, and why are those important to you? Yeah, um, 
I've been hearing that from a lot, investors and even friends like, hey, commercial is where it's at. You know, um, what we're doing right now is transactional. It's hard to predict what somebody needs moving today or tomorrow, right? So that's why we went to business route. People are moving stuff all the time. It's actually been a surprise. We have 40 commercial clients and we do about 10%, believe it or not. Mainly it's consumers 90. But then again, we only started this last quarter. The tickets are a lot less. They're cheaper just because there's a lot of competitors out there and people just sitting around in a truck willing to, you know, haul anything. But um, we made it really, really easy on the companies that use us to literally just press a button. They can track us on their platform. So we partner with these suppliers. Um, but yes, uh, we wanted to try it. We want to show future investors and our current investors that, hey, we're not the company that you're going to invest in. It's going to say, hey, we're just going to sit here. And if this is not working out, we'll just stop. We just want to see, hey, is this worth into pursuing? And, you know, if the commercial side was doing like $100,000, $200,000 a month, we would say, hey, let's focus more there. Yep. But it's not. And yep. then especially with Corona, um, it slowed down quite a bit because a lot of the companies we partner with, they said some of the guys in the warehouse got Corona and stuff. Yeah. So they had to change their whole training and everything regarding pickup, deliveries, and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And so with a commercial contract, you're basically just outsourced, like third-party contractor, helping them haul stuff around town or deliver stuff. Yeah, like right now we have a lot of oil and gas we did. You know, we partner with, and let's say somebody goes out to check in a well, and it's not doing well, and they find out something is broken. Instead of him driving two hours to the supply store to pick it up, he'll just get on a he'll call the supply store, and they'll use us, and we'll go out to pick it up and deliver it to him. He can get the well taken apart, and by the time he does that, we'll be there. And if he makes that order, how long until it's fulfilled on your end? Like, um, is it is a driver ready immediately? Yeah. So we, like I said, our supply is probably like five to one to demand. So we got guys right now just like, and it, like I said, it sends you like this notification on the app saying there's a job available and whoever grabs it first, you know, and then as we get better, the guys have better reviews, have better jobs, you know, claim them faster, they'll get the better paying jobs as well. When was the last time you made a delivery? Honestly, it was recently. And, um... <laughs> Yeah. Um, the guys actually called me and they were like, man, they need a fourth person. They had something super heavy going to a third floor and I live in Benbrook and this was in Benbrook. And sometimes I'll just drive by to make sure they're in uniforms. The truck has magnets and stuff. I'm really picky like that. Yeah. Gabe gets mad at me because he's always like, you need to be doing CEO stuff. You're still doing the little stuff, but it's, it's just me. I want to make sure that we give the customer what they see, you know, like the picture in the app, the shirts and all that stuff. But yeah, it was about two weeks ago. So you, you're going to raise 2 million you can go into markets within two to four weeks and kind of be profitable. Mm -hmm. And I'm not looking for you to give your secret sauce, but uh, how do you get into a new market and how, why are you profitable so quickly? Yeah. So first, the reason why we're profitable is because we don't own any assets. So right. as soon as we enter, we don't owe anything to anybody. We right. already got our fleet, but it, the thing to get is a magnet, two shirts and stuff like that. That doesn't really cost us anything to buy in bulk. Um, through Fountain, they already tell us what kind of equipment they have, dollies, straps, blankets, and all that kind of stuff. So from getting those drivers, it doesn't cost much, nothing at all. And then since we do have the partnership with Smart City and then they're in Austin, Houston and stuff, literally we enter that market and we already get in demand. Yep. And then we just spice it up with a, like a new entrance, like a market on Instagram and Facebook and we'll spend some money on Google. So literally that $500 that we'll spend the first week, we'll make like a thousand or so. Yep. We've talked a little bit about this, the insurance. Yeah. And you had said early on, you'd make five grand and then somebody would drop mm -hmm. a table and... Yeah. And you would be out five grand. Insurance is not cheap. That's why I couldn't afford it in the beginning. Um, but do you have, have you gone down the, the, the deal where it's like when they're signing up for the app, they can pay an extra two bucks for like the insurance. Mm -hmm. Is that, that's, yeah, that's what we're working on now. Um, cool. yeah, we're, we ask actually ask the question now, is there anything that you have that's highly valuable, you know? And then if they say like, yes, we offer like, Hey, we're about to offer, Hey, you can get this extra protection, which will be up to, let's say $50,000. And that's something we're working with our insurance company now 
We just have to be careful because the insurance company we're dealing with, they're like, it makes us look like a broker. Yep. And we can't be that. So yeah. we literally have to word it a little different and stuff. So that's kind of where we have a legal team look into that now. Has COVID helped your business, hurt your business, somewhere in between? Some um, things are getting better. Yeah. It hurt the first month. Yeah. And I think honestly, everybody. Yeah. I think it was the record low we did in numbers. And we were like, what do we do now? And, you know, my biggest focus at that time was, look, nobody here is trying to make money. Let's be realistic. If you're a company out there trying to profit, which I know somewhere, shame on you in a way. You know, everybody's trying to figure out the next step. How do we get out there? So we actually did like a lot of free stuff, nonprofits. We partnered with a nonprofit United Way. They said a lot of their kids that are not in school didn't have food. So we said, look, every delivery we'll do, we do it for like 20 bucks. All the money we get, we'll just give them a check and let them fulfill, you know, buy food or whatever. But then I think it benefited us. And here's the reason why people were stuck at home. So they had time, extra time to do stuff. And also they were using Uber Eats and Favor and all these other apps. So they might've not had those apps before, but they had no choice, right? So when they saw how that works, they're like, well, hey, I just got my food delivered and I heard about this app or I need some from Home Depot. There's this app in the app store, I'm gonna try it out. And following COVID up, up, up until now, we have, we've had our best months. Really? Yeah. How many customers have you served to date? Uh, very about 2,000. Really? Yeah. And that is all kind of in your main market, DFW. Correct. And are you in other any other markets yet? Or yeah, else? so we're in Houston, San Antonio, Austin, and Waco. And then slowly, like I said, we're looking into outside Texas. So like you go to San Antonio, I want to be there. You do your Google ads and, and your kind of your, your online marketing. You make sure you have what? How, how many drivers do you have to have kind of pre-hired before you go? So we, hire, so we hire usually three guys with pickup trucks. And most of them come with two guys. We have some jobs that require one person. The app will tell you like if it's a chair like this, no need to sign two guys. But we'll usually get three pickup trucks, three box trucks, and then we'll have two partnerships. And those partnerships handle all the household moves. Just because at that point, uh, we don't have household good insurance, but those guys do. So it makes more sense for us for them to handle those. Yep. In five years, where, where are you going to be? I want to be nationwide. You know, I, I look, I've been through a lot in my life and there's nothing going to stop me from continuing this journey and, you know, trying to do, build the best company. I know we're going to fail. And I love that because if you don't fail, you don't learn. And, you know, I think we've done a great job from seeing what works and what doesn't continue testing, but I want to be a nationwide company. And then we'll chat just for a little bit. And then I just want to end it with some, um, just some of personal stuff, fun sure. stuff. Let's just talk about the real estate side of things. Yeah. Uh, we've been chatting through email the last few weeks and you have a really awesome, a few ideas. W what are you wanting to do with real estate owners? What are you wanting to do with property managers uh, as a growth initiative? Sure. So um, as far as realtor companies or realtors go, we partner with a company called Strive Realty. They're a new startup here in Fort Worth. You might know them. And then another one, Charitable Realty. Okay. You might know her. Uh, Lori Fowler and her husband run that. So they have about 50 or 60 agents combined. So what we did with them is we created a special coupon code, code for all their agents. And every time their agent sells a house, a condo, or apartment, whatever, they can provide the coupon code for the customer and they get 10% off when they move in. So if you want to move in, you total is $1,000, you get hundred bucks off, right? But on top of that, we give them spiff back to the um, agents or some will have it specifically for the agency and then they can you know, credit the top seller or take them out on application or whatever. Um, as far as the property managers and departments, we started seeing a lot of increases with 22-year-olds, about 25-year-olds and young professionals moving and living in apartments. And they're turning their apartments into homes. And that's what we really want. And they've been using us to get stuff to the dump, taking stuff from their storage up to the third floor apartment since we offer labor only. So we're trying to come up with something where they could pay like $30 a month for an amenity and utilize our service as many times as they want. 
And we're slowly talking to some apartment complexes who seem to be very interested because, you know, we think it's sticky. So because what we've seen is when you go to move into apartment, they'll be like, oh, here's $200 off, you're moving. But then it's like, you're still stuck with the problem. You still have to call 50 different movers. They have to, you know, they'll still charge you their six, six $700. But what if they just said, hey, just tell me when you want to move. Here's this app that we partner with. It's free. You want to move in next Saturday? Here you go. And once you moved in, furnish this place, get your new rugs, shop at Ikea. These guys will deliver for free. And what's in it for the uh, uh, real estate owner or the property manager? Yeah, so we're looking into, obviously, some of them are looking into charging a little higher on the yeah. premium side so they can take a look up. But, you know, we're looking definitely about the revenue share on that end. Cool. There's a lot of apartment complexes out I there. I know, and I know you know a lot of people too. I know. <laughs> We're going to keep working on it. <laughs> For sure. I know we will. All right. What is your, do you have a morning routine? Um, I started working out. I think you lost some weight. I might, I think you didn't do a good job. I did. Um, I joined the gym at the downtown Fort Worth. I think it's called Vigor or Viger. I always have a hard time saying it, but I started running on the Trinity and then hidden there and then like some cardio. So I started with that and then um, I go straight to the office. What time do you wake up? 5.30. 5.30 every day? I have a newborn, so 5.30. Congrats, man. Thanks. So you're growing a business. You're raising money. You got married like a year ago? I think so, yeah. April. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. And you just had a daughter. Son. A son. I'm yes, sorry. It's so good. What's his name? Lucas Cruz. What's anything special about the name, family name? So my wife, she's Hispanic. And okay. her dad, her dad is Hispanic. Mom is American. And I'm Eastern European. And traditional names back home are so common and i was like i don't want that and i just got back from barcelona and i met so many people from like brazil and portugal and stuff and everybody's like lucas lucas and lucas cruz and i was like i like that i love it and it's kind of weird that took price those people's names and turned to my son but i really like the way it sounded that's awesome how'd you meet your wife um through a buddy of mine he worked with her and he's like hey you should talk to this girl i think i talked about this on a uh, a podcast actually I was on, but I'll ask you kind of a similar question. How important is it to have a wife that's supportive? Man, I read a quote somewhere and they're like, you know, find a wife and your business will take care of something like that. And it's so true. She helped me out a lot. She was like, look, I got a 401k with some decent money. And she's like, just let me know. I'll write your check. She's yeah. like, I really believe in it. And like I told you, my family, I hate, I'm not trying to put them down by any means. There was a lot of times they just like go back to work. That's yeah. not going to work. And she was like, no, 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 you're not going to do that. She's like, I will go to work. She's like, I don't care. She's like, I'll take care of the house. I'll take care of whatever. Go to make it happen. That's so awesome. Dude. It is. Like, I think so the lucky. quote is like the best business decision you ever make is who you marry. Cause it if, could you, be, don't, if yes. you don't have, imagine if she didn't support you. Yeah, I wouldn't be here. And then Gazova is the first two initials of, of you, your brother and your sister's right. name. Are they involved in the business? No. no. Are they here in Fort Worth? They are. They are. Yeah. My sister is an HR director. And then my brother, he's like into transportation, like a broker. Cool. What's the best advice you've ever been given? It was a Rivercrest. And I was reading a lot of the business books. I was trying to learn a little bit about financials. And this guy, Mr. Dial was his name. And um, he came up to me. He's like, what you reading there? I was like, ah, oh, just trying to, you know, if I ever start a business, I want to know a little bit basics. And he's like, can I give you advice? I was like, sure. He's like, no matter what you start or what you do, just be a little bit different. And that always stuck out to me. And then when I see successful companies, whether it's a gym or real estate or anything, they always did a little, just things, just a little different. And I always, that kind of stuck out to me. If you had to give your 21-year-old self some advice mm -hmm. besides just be different, what would you tell him? Fail fast. Yeah. Don't take a risk. Yeah. I had so many opportunities at that age to start a business. I almost bought a Froyo shop at that age. <laughs> My sister talked me out of it. I just loved the margins on it. You know, something ice for three cents and you can sell for $3. And I wish I'd done it just because I think I would have learned so much, you yeah. know, and I hated that she talked me out of it, but I would tell anybody, take the risk, learn from it and 
keep moving. I love it. I never thought about that. It's three cents for ice and sell it for three bucks. <laughs> uh, we actually have a um, kind of a little quote around our office uh, that you can see in different places, but it's fail fast, learn, grow, repeat, and just keep it going. I love that. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's like uh, you kind of said it earlier. I get excited to fail from the sense of like, all right, I've just crossed a new, like I I figured it out. Now we're going to keep going. Um, And I think where the difference between entrepreneurs and uh, non-entrepreneurs is they don't want to fail. So they never take the risk and they just stay where they're at. Entrepreneurs are very comfortable. Just kind of keep moving. Uh, You have a favorite book? I recently read the Nike book by Phil Knight and that was a great book. Shoe Dog? Uh, Yeah, Shoe Dog, yes. Cool. Uh, uh, yeah, I uh, like on the flight to Barcelona, I read it and I was really impressed. What's the biggest thing you learned in that book? Um, just his hustle and how he started with shoes, you know, something, you know, at the University of, I think, Oregon, I believe in stuff and how he found his business partner and stuff. It just reminded me a lot of the little things that he did that I did and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe it's because I could relate, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What's the best way for people to reach you or find Gazova? Yeah. So we actually just bought the domain name .com. We used to be .co. Um, obviously, they can go on the Who website. had the .com? Man, I made the big, <laughs> I did, when I went to register the business name, I was so excited. I was like, I'm about to go register the business name. And I checked on the .com, it was $10. As soon as I registered the business name, I went to buy $2,500. So, yeah, so that, yeah. some guy in like Sri Lanka or something like that had it. So we bought it when we got funding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so gazova.com or in the app store. Yes. Google and, and, and yes. or Android and Apple. Correct. And how do they get in touch with you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say Facebook or anything. I mean, I'm on it and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah, um, yeah, LinkedIn, I guess, would be the best way. Okay. Dude, thanks for coming and joining hey, me today. thank you for having me. Every time I get a chance to meet with you and see you, I always get excited. I'm such a big fan of yours. Same here, man. Uh, you're at 22 employees. We're at seven, but uh, we'll, we'll get there soon. Yeah, you got, you'll, you'll get me soon. Um, <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. And until uh, next time. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort Podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.